What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode eight of Preloaded, the podcast dedicated to previewing and talking about all of the biggest and most exciting upcoming video games. My name is Josh Finderup, and I am joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Jackson Van Over. How are you doing this week, Jackson? I'm doing great, Josh. We don't have nearly as much news to talk about, but it kind of feels like a breath of fresh air to have, you know, a few smaller, interesting topics. Yeah, leading up to these console launches, we've definitely had some major news bombshells in the last few weeks, but not as much news this week. That said, we still have some really interesting stuff to talk about because the first Xbox Series X hardware impressions have hit the internet. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to discuss the recent Starfield leaks, and we're going to have an in-depth discussion about whether or not it's a good idea to jump in and buy the next-gen consoles on day one. So you want to stay tuned for all of that. But first, you can catch Preloaded. We post the video version every Monday over on Jackson's YouTube channel. He's JV, J-A-Y-V-E-E, if you're not already subscribed. Or if you prefer to download and listen to the podcast, you can catch the audio version over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to post a review. Other than listening, posting a a positive review is probably the single biggest thing you can help us do as we really try to grow our audience and turn this podcast into a thing. You can also write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And we welcome all of your comments and feedback, but what we'd really love to get are your questions. If there's anything you want to hear Jackson and I discuss on the following week's show, send us your questions and we'll get to them and have a have a discussion about whatever you want to hear us talk about. So again, that's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of questions, we are going to kick the show off with our new segment that we call Who the Hell Are These Guys? And this is where Jackson and I answer a question that helps our audience, helps you know or helps you get to know us as gamers, our gaming preferences, our gaming history. And this week, we are going to ask and answer the question, what is your favorite underrated gem of all time? Either a game that reviewed poorly that you think deserves more praise or that just didn't get enough attention. So Jackson, what's a favorite underrated gem of yours? So I think I have plenty of them, but um, when I wrote this question, uh, the one that immediately came to mind was Battleborn, and this game came out a couple of years ago, I know. It's it's weird for me to say, but I promise that I will explain. Came out a couple of years ago, right around the time of Overwatch, and if you don't remember, this is a Gearbox game that was coming between border, uh, yeah, Borderlands 2 and Borderlands 3. So a lot of people didn't know what to expect. It was this MOBA 3D, you know, third person, excuse me, kind of experience. And I just played it so much with my friends. I loved it. I started making like character guides on the individual heroes. It was very much that kind of experience. But man, it just got killed in the reviews. People did not vibe with it. They said it was too flashy, too loud. Um, hard to follow, but I just loved it with my friends. And so we just played that thing for a couple months until, you know, you know, it just lost all traction. And then Gearbox took down the servers um, <laughs> about a year or so after launch. So that is my favorite underrated gem. 
Nice. Yeah. So that is probably more underrated than the one I'm <laughs> going to say. Uh, for me, <clears throat> it's always been the Darksiders series. Um, I, I know that a lot of people play those. So whether they're hidden gems or not, I'm not sure. But I do feel that they're underrated. Uh, they take a lot from the 3D Zelda games like Ocarina of Time. And they also take a lot from the old God of War games. But they do it very, very well, I think. I mean, Darksiders 1 and 2 in particular, I think, are fantastic third-person action-adventure games, if that's your thing. Um, but they they only got like kind of like sevens in the review scores. And I think that they're almost, you know, up there with the, uh, you know, I don't think, I wouldn't put them up there with Zelda, but they're very, very good games. And uh, so if you like third-person action adventures, can't you can't go wrong with Darksiders. Also, Darksiders Genesis, if you didn't play it, it's like a top-down um, action adventure in more the vein of like the, I don't know if you played those Laura Croft games that uh, I think one was called like the Temple of Osiris. Um, I didn't get a chance to, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's kind of, people think that they're more like Diablo, these uh, Darksiders Genesis, but it's more like those Tomb Raider games. Anyways, it is fantastic. Uh, so all the Darksiders games, I think, are, are great. And I just don't think that they reviewed as well as they uh, play, in my humble opinion. So Yeah, I, I played those. I always played the Darksiders games and, and had a good time. Like, I played them once, and it was kind of a one-time thing, but I enjoyed what I played. Uh, what did you think of 3? Because that's pretty recent. Three was good. Um, the it wasn't as like sprawling as I would have liked, but I thought the combat was. And I, from what I remember, the reviews of the combat were pretty harsh, but I thought it was actually pretty good. And it felt a little more double A as opposed to the previous two, which to me felt more kind of like high production value. But I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too, and I, I liked the spin on combat. I think. You know, we we slapped Dark Souls on everything, but that is kind of what it felt like to me, and, and I enjoyed that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that Darksiders 2 has one of the best boss battles I've ever played with some of the best music uh, along with that boss battle that I've ever played. So uh, just a little side note there. But um, we are going to move on from that to our Out This Week segment. Uh, every week we rattle off the major releases that are of note to Jackson and I. Uh, starting on the Monday that the podcast posts, moving all the way through Friday. And this week, we have a pretty light week. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, which was delayed from last week, finally releases. This is, I believe, the early access version of the game. It releases on Stadia and PC on October 6th. So if you're uh, into really deep role-playing experiences, this is, a, this is a big one. And then if you're into sports games, FIFA 21 comes out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC on October 9th. And uh, in all honesty, Jackson, I will not be getting to either of these. Um, and I think before our, our recording here, you, you said the same. Yes, uh, this is definitely, like you mentioned, a backlog week. I'm just going through playing my own games um, and looking to the future. There's going to be a lot of exciting things towards the end of the month for me. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to catch up on some old games if you want to, because uh, it's going to be a busy uh, fall. We do have some releases that came out last week that we want to look back on. This is our review roundup. So every week we also just check out the major releases that came out. And this week, again, pretty light on the, the reviews that came out. Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time released last week and it is getting decent reviews a top critic review on Open Critic of 86% and a recommended rating of 95%. So actually great reviews on that. Uh, I read one review saying that this was the best Crash Bandicoot game 
ever released. So if you are a Crash fan or you're into those old school 2D platformers, 2.5D platformers, this is one to check out. Then uh, the, I think the major release that a lot of people might be picking up is Star Wars Squadrons came out last week, and that released to reviews of 80%. Uh, the top critic review score, excuse me, is 80%, and the recommended review score is 71%. Um, did you decide to pick this up, Jackson? Uh, so it's coming out tomorrow, and I saw some some EA people got some early access. And by tomorrow, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys Friday. see the podcast on Monday. We're recording on Thursday. So um, we're speaking to you from the past. But still, um, yes, I do want to check this out. Um, I've seen some of the criticism, uh, not heavy criticism, but people saying this felt like a start. Like this is the beginning of something that they wanted to play a lot more of. Um, but I, again, see that as a positive. I didn't really want to get bogged down by a long experience right now before, as Josh mentioned, things get insane. Um, so I do plan on playing some Star Wars. Um, Crash, I'm not as excited about. I understand it's a classic experience, but um, just not the kind of vibe that I'm into right now. Yeah, I may check out to see if Crash 4 has um, uh, an easy platinum trophy. I'm kind of a, <laughs> I like getting my trophies. So if it does, I may check it out. But otherwise, I, I'll probably pass. And then I, the reviews I saw from Star Wars were for the single player experience, and they were positive. So I'm really happy to see that the single player um, portion of the game is reviewing well. I know that that will have a large multiplayer component to it, but I'm more interested in uh, playing it solo. Anyways, those are the games that came out uh, and got reviewed. We are now going to take our first break, and when we come back, we are going to get into the week in previews, where we are going to kick it off with the first impressions of the Xbox Series X hardware. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. We'll see you in just a minute. And we're back. It is now time for the week in previews where Jackson and I talk about all of the news about upcoming games and consoles and occasionally give our hands-on impressions of games before they come out. And this week, the, the major story that came out kind of gradually throughout the week were the Xbox Series X impressions, media outlets and influencers were able to actually test out the hardware. Microsoft sent them uh, units. Unfortunately, Jackson nor I got a unit, but we did scour the internet to see what everyone was saying about the Xbox Series X hardware. And it's important to note, no one got the S. This is only for the Xbox Series X. And uh, overall, it seems like the impressions were very, very positive. Uh, the first thing that a lot of people uh, noted is that the console is, as expected, extremely fast, uh, but also very quiet, much quieter than the Xbox One X, which is nice. Um, one kind of quick stat that I read is that it boots from its on, uh, it's always on state almost instantly, uh, but it turns on if it's just completely off and you boot it up, it starts in about 10 to 12 seconds, uh, which is fast. Um, one other interesting thing I read, the hard drive. So the Xbox Series X has a one terabyte hard drive, but about 20% of that is taken up by the operating system and anything else they, they packed onto it. So you have about 802 gigabytes to work with once you uh, start installing games. So that um, might be disappointing to some people, but I think most people it's kind of understood that you're going to uh, mm -hmm. have some space taken up by the operating system. Um, and then, Jackson, something that we talked about on a prior mm -hmm. show was how it's going to perform for backwards compatible games. And it turns out 
that the loading times on these games, these older games for Xbox One and even Xbox 360 uh, are much faster. So one example that I read was Control, which was a pretty, uh, that, that was a taxing game on the Xbox Series, or I'm sorry, the Xbox One X and even like the PlayStation 4 Pro. This was an Engadget preview that I read, and it said, quote, backwards compatible games on Xbox Series X load three to four times faster than their Xbox One counterparts. Take Remedy's Control, for example. Booting up a scene on Xbox One takes 30 to 38 seconds, while the same scene on Series X consistently takes just nine seconds, 10 at most. So anyways. Yeah, the difference is massive. Um, just just from those line items, um, the the... The noise is a huge game changer for me. I actually don't remember my Xbox One X being particularly loud. Mostly my PlayStation. My PlayStation has always been yeah. way too loud, um, but it's nice. And I did see some people saying that they were only playing backwards compatible games, and that's why the Xbox Series X is quiet. And I think there's probably some truth to that. Um, when we're actually booting up like Assassin's Creed Valhalla or Cyberpunk 2077, I you know, wouldn't be shocked if my Series X is a little bit louder than these backwards compatible games. Um, but yeah, things like booting instantly on the uh, from the always on state um, are great. I, I do see some issues with that hard drive. Um, I think you're only going to be able to fit, I don't know, five to 10. Uh, that might even be a little generous. I, I don't yeah. know what the typical size is of games, but I want to say it's like 80 to 150 gigs per game. Um, if you're talking about AA and AAA games, indie stuff is definitely smaller, but um, that's a little bit worrying to me personally. Yeah, and you know the news came did come out last week. They they showed the uh, or they kind of revealed the the drives, the external drives that you'll be able to buy, but they're still expensive. I mean, 200, I think it's 210 or 220 dollars. So that's pretty pricey. Um, yeah, that that is going to become an issue as. Now I have read that for next gen games the the uh, the download sizes are actually going to shrink because they don't have to duplicate as much information on the files that they would if there wasn't an an SSD. So okay. we'll see if that if that actually comes to fruition or if that's just kind of them trying to assuage our fears that you just kind of laid out that we might run out of space on these hard drives. But um, yeah, that is an issue. But one interesting feature is the quick resume feature. Everybody seemed really happy with how this works. So. What this is, is you can now play a game. So if you're playing like Red Dead Redemption 2, you can just exit that game, load up another game, uh, and then start playing that game. And when you go back to Red Dead Redemption 2, it'll instantly resume where you left off. So it saves your character right where they are, and you don't have to go through any loading. And people say that this works great. It's basically uh, a, a flawless design. And I read one account of someone who was able to do this with five games at once. Uh, so very interesting. Yeah, that that is a, an interesting, uh, compelling thing you can do. I will say that I kind of question like how many people are going to be using this. Maybe people play mm -hmm. games differently than me. I think that's a completely fair um, assumption that that might be the case. But I'm mo like at most two to three games at a time kind of person. So for those two to three games, it's going to be really nice. But like, I don't see myself playing five games at once and really, you know, taking advantage of this thing as much as they seem to be promoting it. I completely agree. Actually, the use case I see myself using it for is if I'm watching uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime Video, I watch both of those pretty frequently. So uh, and granted, I do it on my PlayStation, but 
you know, closing a game or suspending a game to then go watch a, a, a show and then going back to the game. Maybe I'll use it. It is definitely a convenience feature. I don't think see this as like earth shattering or anything like that. But um, yeah, I you make that- a good point about those apps. That's a great point. That's something where I could see myself having about five things running at once. Yep. So uh, so quick resume was something that people were able to uh, test out. And then the last thing that I saw a I think this was from Windows Central. Uh, I saw a pretty detailed layout of, or a kind of explanation of the controller. So the it, the Xbox Series X controller is basically an updated version of the Xbox One controller, but the D-pad is now more uh, reflective or not. Ref- I, I shouldn't use that word, but it's more. Uh, it's similar to the D-pad on the Elite controller, and also the um, the triggers. Are different. They have uh, like I, I read the term less travel time, which I'm assuming means that they don't depress as far when you press them, and okay. the text the, there's more resistance, and then the texture is different. So it's super detailed stuff. But if you're interested in the controller, that's what I was able to find. Yeah, and it's also got that share button, which is very much seemed like it was missing from the last generation. Um, yeah. People share their PlayStation 4 screenshots and clips a lot more than Xbox, at least from what I can tell. And that's because it was there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great that we're going to have that capability on it on Xbox. And this is something we already mentioned in our previews, but it does seem like if we're comparing controllers, there's more of a leap with the PlayStation. Just my kind of take there, um, just with the haptic feedback. I know I haven't put my hands on it, but that is just kind of how I how I feel and from the way that PlayStation is positioning themselves, you know, the controller is much more of a feature of PlayStation versus the next gen Xbox. For sure. That's actually a great point. I mean, it seems like Xbox knows that people really love their controller and uh, for whatever reason, they didn't decide to, um, this is more of a, uh, an evolution, not a revolution. I know that's a term or a phrase that a lot of people have thrown around. That seems to be the case here. Um, for better or worse, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but, uh, yeah. And overall, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that I haven't read anybody saying anything negative about their experience with the Xbox series X. I wouldn't expect that, that we would, but overall, it seems like this is going well. I also don't think that there's anything, um, really revealing about the Xbox series X in these previews that is, you know, surprising to me. It's kind of as expected. So, uh, my opinion of the series X hasn't really changed as a result of these, previews that have come out yeah i can't say mine has really either it's what we expected yeah um but we did get uh some other news about the xbox series x launch this week as it regards to um game pass and ea play jackson did you want to take this one sure yeah so we got the announcement a couple weeks ago i want to say that ea play is coming to game pass and now we have a date and it's coming on November 10th, which is, of course, the launch date of the Series S and Series X. So this is just in time for next-gen consoles. Um, but I do want to kind of caution people. If you're not really sure what EA Play is, I've got a little rundown here. Uh, you get access to player challenges, which that's just something I read. I'm not really familiar with that. In-game rewards, member-only content, a 10% discount on digital games. So it's kind of built in. That's what Game Pass offers as well, but it's for EA games. And then you can also try out selected new release games for up to 10 hours of playtime with no commitment. And then this is in addition to the library, the backlog of EA titles. So I don't want people to think that with Game Pass, now you're going to get EA games the day they come out. 
that's not exactly what this service is. It's not, it's more of an ancillary piece to Xbox Game Pass. It's just increasing your library, increasing um, how many games you can play day one on your Series X. And that fits in right with Xbox's messaging of offering as many games as possible that you can play on day one on their machine. There's also the added um, little perk here of Game Pass Ultimate members being able to play EA Play games through xCloud on their Android devices. Now, I don't think Josh, neither Josh nor I have experience with xCloud yet, um, but that's a perk for people that are looking to cloud gaming and being able to play on your phone. That's that's pretty big to add EA to that library as well. Um, so yeah, this this is exciting stuff. Yeah, super exciting. Uh, great that they got this on launch. Uh, and I think the number I've read is that the backlog that you mentioned is uh, 60 plus games uh, that yeah. you can play. So it really does add a lot of value to Game Pass. Yeah, and you're not paying more for this. That's another thing. Yeah. Like if that wasn't abundantly clear, this is not like you're paying $2 more. No, this, this is just in with the initial offering. Yep. So uh, there is going to be a lot to play on <clears throat> on day one on your Xbox Series X. Of course, this is not just for Series X owners. This, If you have an Xbox One, this will be there as well. So very, very cool. And speaking of EA, actually, we got some other interesting EA news. And Jackson, I thought of you when I saw this story because I know <laughs> that uh, you are um, looking forward to the Mass Effect trilogy, uh, this kind of mysterious remaster that we've heard about but haven't really seen anything. EA... Uh, Apparently, uh, this is according to uh, VentureBeat had a story on their site. Uh, this was by Jeff Grubb, who's kind of, you know, an industry insider. He uh, posted an article that uh, basically said that the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, as they're calling it, I didn't realize that was the name, is still coming, but it's no longer rumored to come in October as it was prior. Now it's coming uh, in 2021. So Jeff Grubb wrote, quote, um, now EA and developer BioWare are pushing the release into early 2021, according to people familiar with the development. And he went on to say, the, the I found this interesting, the primary factor holding up development beyond the pandemic is the original Mass Effect game. It currently does not live up to the quality of the rest of the package. It would make a poor first impression for new players, and it might disappoint fans who then won't go on and play the experience and experience the impressive upgrades for Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. So uh, any thoughts here, Jackson? I know you're a big fan of these games. Yes. So um, as someone who has gone back and played the original Mass Effect, it is in not a great state. Um, the last several times I've played it, I've, I've noticed that it has not aged well. Um, there was a huge leap. I want to say they just did an engine overhaul something. Um, I'm not totally uh, familiar with the big change between one and two, but it's substantial. You can very much tell the difference. Um, and again, one did not age well. So I get this as someone who has played this several times in the last, um, I don't know, five years. So that makes sense to me. It makes perfect sense because Mass Effect 1 does not make a good impression if you're going to play through the the trilogy. A lot of people skip it, and I think that is just like, a cardinal sin of the highest degree. It's my favorite of them all. Um, but yeah, it makes sense for them to make sure that the first one is upgraded. And that actually makes me more excited for this remaster because if they're going back and upgrading the original game, which again is my favorite, that is going to add so much value to this entire package. And I'm kind of happy that I'm not going to have to deal with this game 
uh, with replaying this game when all the other exciting games and consoles are coming out very soon. Yeah, yeah, this was, uh, I think this is good news. I mean, we may have to wait a little bit longer, assuming this thing is actually real. Uh, but don't judge me, Jackson. I've actually only played Mass Effect 2. So this, if, when this comes out, this would be a great opportunity for me to re-experience, well, not re-experience, but experience for the first time the first game and the third game. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you. Two was kind of the high point for the series. It's yep. kind of, it's hard to find someone who doesn't like two. And then you've got three with the ending controversy. Um, that kind of sucks. And then a lot of people just didn't play one. So I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you. Um, I saw a lot of people were disappointed when EA announced that the remaster won't include Mass Effect 3's multiplayer. And while I enjoyed the multiplayer, this doesn't shock me in the slightest. And I'm not even mad about it. I, I just don't see myself playing Mass Effect 3 multiplayer in 2020 and uh, enjoying it that much. I mean, we've got multiplayer with Andromeda. And it's kind of a slightly different, in some ways, improved version. I hope I don't get flacked for that, flack for that, but that's how I feel. So this doesn't disappoint me. Yeah, uh, I actually read one of the quotes uh, from this article was that they, EA didn't want this to feel like a games as a service. So that's kind of not what we expect from EA, but that's, <laughs> that's nice. Okay. Yeah, it'd be weird to have a games as a service title for a remaster of a game. Um, just from a conceptual standpoint, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and before we move on, one last detail is they uh, apparently this this uh, legendary edition will include all of the downloadable content for all three Mass Effect games. So this is going to be a very hearty package for anyone who picks it up. Yeah, quick note on that. Mass Effect has some of the best DLC of any franchise ever. So this, and we knew this was going to be included. It's great that it is. Yep. Uh, and moving on to another, uh, you know, space opera epic, or at least that's what it <laughs> appears to be. I'm kind of maybe getting ahead of ourselves here. But uh, Starfield from Bethesda uh, has leaked, apparently, uh, some alleged leaked screenshot or some screenshots that are alleged to be from the game leaked this week. Jackson, I am going to kick this one over to you once again. Um, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. So Starfield obviously was mysteriously announced a couple years ago by Bethesda um, alongside The Elder Scrolls Six, which is still hilarious because we haven't heard anything uh, from either of those games ever since they talked about it. But um, yeah, these leaks have been dominating the news cycle, at least in my little sphere um, and what I pay attention to. One of them is an over-the-shoulder shot of a person on what appears to be like a spacewalk outside of some space station. Um, I, I think... We kind of assumed this would be a uh, a third-person game as opposed to a first-person game. At least that was my impression. We know that Bethesda Game Studios games have uh, been a little more friendly to third-person with Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 um, as opposed to Skyrim, which isn't... It's, it's a little difficult to play in third-person. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it's I've been watching a lot of other YouTubers kind of give their takes on this. Uh, Mr. Maddie comes to mind... And sh sort of sharing, you know, their excitement about the fact that this is a very different kind of Bethesda Game Studios game. Um, it's very much grounded in um, what feels more like reality. It's not going to be as goofy as you might attribute to the Fallout series or as fantasy driven as you might attribute to the Elder Scrolls series. The aesthetic is very much like um, science fiction -y rather than science fantasy. So uh, it's interesting. I'm really excited for Starfield, and I'm interested to know if this is going to be an exclusive. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was really, uh, these screenshots don't tell us much, but you mentioned kind of the aesthetic. I am pleased that it seems to be more of a kind of a, a, a grounded in, even though it's science fiction, it's still kind of grounded in reality. And what I mean by that is that this isn't going to have an aesthetic like the Outer Worlds. Uh, this is going to be very much more like a realistic, it looks like a realistic looking sci-fi game, which to me, I just got done watching The Expanse. And if you've never seen The Expanse, what a show, great TV show, but got me super hyped for, I'd love to dive into a, a, a sci-fi space um, role-playing game. And this looks to be exactly that. I, I would too. Um, and something that is even more grounded than like Mass Effect. Mass Effect feels very arcadey at times and like an action adventure. This this feels even more closer. It's hard to put this into words, Josh. I feel like I'm struggling with it, but it just feels closer to reality than most of these sci-fi kind of games. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you, you you mentioned this, Jackson, but we also got to look at the like there's some UI in here as well. And, uh, you know, there's like an, an oxygen meter and a CO2 meter. So if, if we can take anything away from this in terms of gameplay, maybe there'll be some gameplay where you're out in outer space and you have to kind of be mindful of how long you're in outer space. I don't know, but could be could be something there that we could maybe glean from this in terms of gameplay. Yeah, I could see something like Prey, perhaps, like some small sections where you have to worry about your O2 or uh, Dead Space as well. I've yep. had some mechanics like that, so would love to see it. Yeah, yeah. So... Moving on to another uh, next-gen game, but one we're going to get a lot sooner. Um, Spider-Man Remastered had kind of some, uh, I guess you could call it controversial news this week. Uh, Apparently, Peter Parker got recast for Spider-Man Remastered, which, as we covered last week, is getting released with the ultimate version of Spider-Man Miles Morales. So Insomniac Games cast a different-looking, in my opinion, a much younger, more baby-faced Peter Parker for uh, the the remastered version. They said that this was because it was a better match for the voice actor, Yuri Lowenthal, who does the voice work for Spider-Man, and that that is why that they recast it, just to kind of create a better match. I'm not sure what to make of that. Jackson, what did you make of this? So, Josh, I actually uh, made a video on this. Uh, It was just a topic that I saw a lot of people talking about, and I thought I had something to add to it. Uh, This is a very interesting, nuanced topic. I I, I see everyone's side. If you are not happy with this, you were really attached to the way that other character looked and wanted to see um, John Bubniak is the name of the actor that got replaced. If you want to see his face in future Spider-Man games, I get why you would be disappointed. Mm-hmm. I get that if Spider-Man PS4 was one of your favorite games in the last 10 years and they just pulled this move, I'd be angry. I, I, I get that. Um, at the same time, uh, there are some other theories floating around about them wanting to find an actor in Ben Jordan that looks more like Tom Holland, um, that there's yep. some sort of more nefarious, maybe not nefarious, it's a little too harsh, but something else going on behind the scenes that insomniac doesn't necessarily want to say publicly. Um, but the excuse that we were given once again, is that this actor looks more like Yuri Lowenthal and that would be a better match. And technologically that was the decision they made. Um, and I got some really interesting feedback on my video. The one point that makes so much sense to me that I think is the, the best point you could make about like questioning insomniac and their decision is Abby from The Last of Us Part Two? She is played by uh, voice actress Laura Bailey, who mm-hmm. has a very long um, list of you know 
things she's been in different she's games in almost every game she's exactly she's like, there you go yeah but she looks nothing like abby so their point was okay if you know naughty dog can make a character not look like the voice actor and pull it off and give us um, pretty much the best facial mocap performance we've ever seen uh, i'm talking about the last of us part two across the board then why is this a problem for insomniac um i yep. think that is an excellent point did you have any other insight on this well, my thought was, this is me putting on my tinfoil hat, total conspiracy <laughs> theory here, but I'm assuming that this is, that Peter Parker is going to be in Miles Morales, right? So yes. I, I'm also assuming that this younger looking actor who looks a bit more like Tom Holland will be in Miles Morales. Um, so maybe they're, why, like, I guess my conspiracy is maybe this actor wasn't available or something to be in Miles Morales. So they had to recast him. And then they're like, well, let's make him consistent through all of the Spider-Man games, the, both of the Spider-Man games, I should say. That's the only explanation I could think up. But that, of course, is discounting what, you know, Brian Intihar was the, he's the creative director on Spider-Man. He's the one who came out and said that they just wanted a better match for Yuri Lowenthal. I really have no reason to not believe that. Maybe that is what what happened here. But if I'm it was the same something... Way. If it was something behind the scenes, the only thing I could think of is basically the other actor wasn't available, so they recast him and turned him into a, a different Spider-Man. But uh, I have no no real... I didn't read that. I just made that up in my head. <laughs> yeah, I, just to put a bow on this, not to harp too long, um, I love what you said about having no reason not to believe Brian Intihar. Um, I think these days <laughs> we have a tendency, if we don't like something that happens or something that we hear, uh, we tend to jump to conclusions that aren't exactly based in reality. Um, why, we're not mocap experts. Most yeah. people are not. If it makes sense for them to say we want a guy whose face looks more like our voice actor and it, objectively Ben Jordan looks more like Yuri Lowenthal, why are we not taking them at their word? I mean, I know they're a big company, but this is a, a decision that doesn't like affect their bottom line. They're not going to sell more games because of this decision. So yeah. Um, yeah, very strange, the skepticism. I understand the anger, but the skepticism I don't get. Yeah, and I have a feeling that by the end of, you know, if you replay this game, I, by the end of it, I, I bet, <laughs> you know, we'll all be used to this new actor's face. And same Absolutely. if we play uh, um, uh, Miles Morales. But um, yeah. yeah, it is a bummer for people who really maybe had an attachment to that actor. So um, mm -hmm. just an interesting story. Didn't didn't see that one coming. If there was one <laughs> thing that was going to change for Spider-Man Remastered, I think that was the last thing everybody expected. So um very interesting to see that pop up. But uh, we also got some uh, some Cyberpunk 2077 news uh, this week, and this is uh, definitely not good news. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 developer breaks promise and will force employees to work six days a week. That's the headline for this story. So basically, uh, Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg uh, published an article that revealed that uh, the CD Projekt Red studio head Adam Badowski had announced to the CDR P CDPR development team via an email that six-day work weeks would be required from now until the game's launch on November 19th. The email said in part, quote, I know this is in direct opposition to what we've said about Crunch. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back that crunch should never be the answer, answer, but we've extended all other possible means of navigating the situation. And uh, so if you're not aware, I think it was back in January or February of this year, Jason Schreier, back when he worked at Kotaku, had published, I think, another article where these exact uh, 
people at CDPR had said very plainly that no, they wouldn't have crunch and that employees who chose not to work these extended hours would be allowed to do that. So this seems to go in direct uh, contradiction to that. Before I get your take on this, Jackson, I do want to mention that they that CDPR did respond to kind of the backlash that came out as a result of this. Uh, they posted this statement on Twitter. This is uh, from Badowski, or Badkowski, who said, these last six weeks are our final sprint on a project we've all spent much of our lives on, something we care deep, something we care for deeply. The majority of the team understands that push, especially in light of the fact that we just sent the game to CERT and every day brings us visibly closer to shipping a game we want to be proud of. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but everyone is well compensated for every extra hour they put in. And like in recent years, 10% of the annual profit of our company generates in 2020 will be split directly among the team. So that was a lot. That was a mouthful, a lot to cover. What are your thoughts here? So this is hard. I think obviously uh, across the board, nobody thinks crunch is a good thing. Uh, it's, It's not an ideal thing. Um, but I think if you're looking at it from Jason Schreier's perspective, who has always been a very adamant um, uh, per- person who v- very against crunch is what I'm trying to say. Um, no matter how much more money these uh, workers are going to make, they are still going to put themselves through the emotional stress of um, pushing this game to launch. And um, there are definitely some people in a camp who are saying, this is their job, and they signed up for this, and lots of video games have to crunch in order to get a game to the finish line. That's a story we've heard a lot in this industry um, in the past five to ten years. So, it, But that doesn't make it okay, I think, is my perspective. Um, I don't think that getting 10% of the annual profit generated makes it okay. Um, and some people are going to disagree with that, but... If you are looking at this from a mental, psychological health perspective, no amount of money is going to make up for these six-day work weeks. And they've already been working overtime for months, possibly more than a year, according to Jason Schreier. So that's where I stand. Yeah, yeah. I I pretty much agree with you on all of that. Um, As someone who has been in a position where I've been asked or pretty much told to crunch, it is difficult and you know, I do think that it it does make a difference that they are compensated. I've been asked to crunch without overtime, and that is just ridiculous. And so it is nice for me to see that they they are considering um, the the compensation that these people get. But I completely agree that if you are basically forced to crunch and there are maybe mental health uh, consequences of that, it's just not worth it. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing I would say is, you know, if you're in an industry that asks you to crunch or you're at a, in a company that asks you to crunch or forces you to crunch, um, I think the best thing you can do is just ask, like, is this what's is this the best place for me? Because, right, uh, you just got to take care of yourself. And uh, sometimes it's a real bummer to see these companies um, basically put these people in a position where they don't have much of a choice. And that's what I have a big problem with. So I, I, I do, too. Um, it, it's not only that they're crunching, it's 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 the pressure behind it. It's um, the fact that if you don't agree to this, that you're you're probably gone. I mean, I can't say that for um, a fact, but at the same time, games are very iterative. We re- I mean, when you slap a release date on a game, um, 
lots of times that six month window before it comes out, the reason it comes out at that date that they put six months ago is the result of crunch. Um, and, and that is a sad reality. It's something that can change, but that's the culture right now. And I think reporters like Jason Schreier are trying to do their best to put a light on this and kind of, um, uh, you know, change the dynamic, change the culture around working overtime, even if you are compensated. Um, I can't speak t- personally to, I, I've never crunched um, under an employer. I've never been asked to work overtime, but I can't say that an extra, I don't know, it's, it's hard to throw out numbers, five grand um, in a year. Like, let's say I make 70,000, I'm going to make 75,000 because I crunched really hard and sacrificed all that you know, mental energy. I can't say that, that would be worth it to me, but I'm not in that position. That's a hypothetical, um, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, and it's tough to know also what the morale is at CDPR. Um, you know, maybe maybe they there are people who put in extra hours voluntarily, and and I I, I think it's fair to say that not everybody at CDPR is that way. But yeah, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I. I I have no problem with people who want to work these extra hours and just do it voluntarily. But again, to reiterate, when it's something that you don't have a choice in the matter, that that's where, it, to me, it becomes a problem. But uh, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this. That was a bit of a bummer of a story. We do have some some other quick hits that we want to cover. The first is that uh, Steve from Minecraft was announced as the next Smash character. And the reason we put this in quick hits is just because neither Jackson or I have a real attachment. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jackson, but I don't think either <laughs> of us have a real attachment to Smash Brothers. Um, no. So if this, if this is something you're interested in, you can definitely check out the trailer that Nintendo released online. The next quick hit, uh, The Pathless, which is a game that Sony spent a lot of time covering on one of their uh, uh, state of play presentations is now going to be a launch title for the PlayStation 5. So if you're into kind of open world uh, action adventures of more of kind of the the double A or maybe even indie um, ilk, this game looks to be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, That'll be launching on November 12th. Then uh, we also got news that Godfall, which is another PS5 launch game, will be $10 cheaper on PC as compared to PlayStation 5. And that goes for all of the versions. There's a special edition and a um, some sort of ultimate edition, they're all going to be $10 cheaper on PC. So before we move on, anything to add there, Jackson? Um, not really. Uh, the Pathless, though, uh, that looks really interesting, compelling game to me. I'm going to play it, you know, five months after launch because I'm going to be so, so lost in Valhalla and Cyberpunk. I'm just not going to have time. Yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the reviews for the Pathless. If it reviews really well, I might actually play that um, at launch. But that wraps up the the week in previews. We we apparently did have a lot to talk about, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's good to get through all that. We are now going to get into our deep dive discussion. This is where we pick a topic for the week that we like to go deeper into a discussion that we think that you, our audience, would like to hear our takes on. And this this week, the question is, with all the next-gen news going around and the next-gen consoles coming out, are next-gen consoles something that it makes sense to jump in on day one and get right when they come out and pay these these uh, you know pay full price for these consoles when they come out. So, Jackson, before I get into it, I've been talking a lot here. What what is your take on this? Are you well? First of all, I I, I think I know the answer to this. Are you getting the consoles on day one? But do you think that this makes sense for gamers at large? First off, yes, uh, I've already committed. Actually, um, I've put the full amount down for the Xbox Series X, and I've pre-ordered 
um, the PlayStation 5. So I've already got these. Um, it's it's a done deal. Uh, I succumb to the hype, and I think at the end of the day, that's going to be my answer. I cannot stay away from the hype. Again, if this was not my job, I would be spending money, way too much money that I should have no business spending. Um, so with that out of the way, this is a fascinating question because we're all wrapped up in the hype. Even people that aren't going to be able to get in day one are wrapped in the hype. But even still, does it make sense to jump in right away at full price? I think it's almost never made sense, like made sense, almost from an objective standpoint to go in day one. I don't think there's enough um, games that are going to give you a ne truly next gen experience for you to say, I have to jump in day one. I think, for example, you could play Assassin's Creed. Well, maybe not Assassin's Creed, because they're saying you're going to get a 60 FPS 4K experience on PlayStation. I don't think your pro is going to be able to do that. But um, I, I truly do not think like from a budget gamer perspective, it makes sense to jump in right away. I just don't. Yeah, I think that the the hype is is a bit out of proportion, I think. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes sense, but if if you don't get an Xbox Series X or a PlayStation 5 on day one, you're still, especially with the way this generation is panning out, you're still going to get to play the games on those consoles by and large for the most part. I mean, there are a few exceptions. I think Demon Souls might be one exception. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, you'll be you may not get the technical you know, the 60 frames per second and 4K. But if you want to play Assassin's Creed on your PlayStation 4, you can do it. If you want to play Miles Morales on your PlayStation 4, you can do it. Uh, with Xbox, all of the games that are on Game Pass for Series X are also on your Xbox One. So in terms of the core experiences, I don't think you're missing out by not getting these consoles on day one. With, a, again, like I said, the rare exception, Demon Souls, um, uh, Ratchet and Clank, when that comes out for PS5. Yeah, and it's funny to add to that list, uh, Horizon Forbidden West is going to be on PlayStation 4, and we don't even know when that game's coming out. Yeah, and to be honest, we don't even know that like God of War uh, Ragnarok is not going to be on PlayStation 4. I think a lot of people would speculate that it's not, but we just don't know that yet. So um, I think if if you want, for me, the two th there's two things that um, if you must have them, then you have to get a next-gen console. If you absolutely have to have the best technical experience, bar none, then yes, you need to buy either a Series X or a PlayStation 5 or get a really high-end PC. Um, and then if you just want to be part of the conversation, if you want to you know, join online and, 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 and talk with people or talk with your friends about what it's like to, to play these systems, then obviously you're going to have to do that. But if neither of those are things that you need to have or do, then honestly... I think, like I said, I think the hype for these next-gen consoles is a bit out of proportion. You're going to be able to play a lot of the games that are on them on your PS4 or your Xbox One. Right, and uh, we even talked here about, or, or on the dock, we have uh, we mentioned price drops. I don't know how many price drops we saw for the last generation. I think before the show, we kind of said not yeah. many, if any, until they you know came out with different versions of the of the last generation. So. If we're going to see a hypothetical <laughs> Xbox Series XL, <laughs> maybe something like that, that's even more powerful than the Series X. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, then you'll see the Series X drop in yeah. price. Then it's like, yeah, you want to take advantage of that price drop. 
Um, how much were you really missing out on? We don't really know yet, but historically, um, history tells us that you're, you're not missing out on a ton, and I don't think you're going to miss out um, by waiting this gen either. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. And, and the other thing to... Um well, two other things to bring up, actually, is I think one advantage you have by waiting is, you know, and hopefully, you know, knock on wood, we don't see any technical problems with these consoles. But if there is anything that people are having issues with, you won't experience that if you choose to wait. You know, there was the Red Ring of Death, which I don't know if that was a launch issue, really. But yeah, I can't remember. Um, but, you know, if there's anything like that, you won't uh, drop $500 on a new machine and then have some technical issues, which is majorly disappointing if that ever happens. Um, and then the other thing to bring up is, you know, at least on the Xbox side, uh, there is Game Pass. And so Xbox is advertising the Xbox Series X as the console with the largest launch library ever, which is technically true. But that same library is available through Game Pass on your Xbox One. So again, kind of reiterating what I said earlier, you can you can get a lot of these experiences on your prior console. And like one example that I'm not sure, I'm not sure there are any games that are going to be on Game Pass for Xbox Series X that won't be on Xbox One. And I, I, I seriously doubt it given how uh, Microsoft has been marketing their kind of cross-generational angle. Right. And and not to divert the conversation, but um, what do you think the like PlayStation 4, people that are jumping to PlayStation 5, uh, what about their digital libraries? I'm actually not positive on this, and I feel like I should be. If you own a digital version of a PlayStation 4 game, can you download that on PlayStation 5 and play the backwards compatible version? As far because, as as far as far I understand, yes. If you own the digital okay. version, you can re-download it because all that stuff is tracked on the PlayStation Network. And so like games gotcha. that I've downloaded like a decade ago, I can get on the PlayStation Network, like on my PlayStation 3, and I can... You know, well, I guess not my PlayStation 3, but if basically when I log on to my PlayStation Network, I can just re-download. And I'm assuming, this is an assumption, but based off the research I've done, I don't have any reason to believe that you won't be able to download those onto your PlayStation 5. Now, it, it's we've covered this before. It's not guaranteed that every PlayStation 4 game will work on your PlayStation 5, but they've said, quote, I think 99% of them will. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's probably going to be hard to find a game that doesn't mm -hmm. work. Yeah, so... Uh, if I had to guess, uh, but uh, yeah, to me, it's honestly, if if you can just stand not not giving into the hype and not being part of, like I said, that kind of conversation initially, then I don't really think you're missing out on a whole heck of a lot if you don't get these consoles on day one. I'm right there with you. I don't think you miss out on much. Um, and in fact, you look like a much smarter person if you wait yeah. uh, in terms of your wallet, um, if you, if you wait a bit. And uh, pick these things up when the price drops or when you know for sure that, yeah, there's not going to be tech issues. That's a great point you brought up earlier. Yeah. And I guess it, the one thing uh, before we move on, like the there are bundles. And I, I, I think that's kind of how a lot of companies do price drops nowadays. So maybe in a year we'll see a bundle where you'll get um, a PlayStation 5 with Miles Morales or with God of War when it releases for the same price that you would have just got the base console. So that's a possibility that you might be able to save like 50 or 70 bucks, I guess, nowadays. Sure. And that that's a legitimate I mean, that's not a price drop, but it, it in it essence, is. it yeah. is because um, I don't think you're not you're, you're not going to be able to get uh, a next gen console for lower than what they're going to retail at 
for at least two years if I had to get I mean, and two years sounds like a little low I'd say longer yeah but if if you really are on a budget and saving that extra 70 bucks is a big difference maker for you it's like Black Friday 2021 maybe there will be a for $500 you'll be able to get a PlayStation 5 with a game packed in so there's that absolutely and, and not to prolong the conversation but you just made me think Black Friday 2021 uh, crossing our fingers that everything else is right in the world by that point uh, it's going to be insane. I think they're going to sell so many physical, you know, consoles because things will be hopefully back to normal. Yep. Yeah. Let's let's hope, man. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so with that, we are going to take our second break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about what we're playing, and we're going to dig into our mailbag. So we will be right back. And we're back. We are now to the part of the show where we talk about what we have been playing. So, Jackson, what has been keeping you busy? It's funny that you even have to ask, Josh, because my answer is Assassin's Creed. Uh, It it always has, and it seems like it always will be, but um, there will come a time when I'm not playing it. I finished Assassin's Creed Unity last week and just had the time to start up Origins. I've been kind of busy working on videos and content, so I haven't had a ton of time to play this last week. But uh, I did start Assassin's Creed Origins, and it's blowing my mind. Um, I've played it. I've played Odyssey. I've played these open-world Assassin's Creed games and not that long ago. But if you play through the series and then you see the leap from uh, what it used to be to what it became after the reboot, uh, it is mind-blowing. And I am just so impressed with Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, the world is gorgeous. Ancient Egypt is just breathtaking. And uh, the writing in that game is incredible. Darby McDevitt, same guy who wrote Black Flag and will write Valhalla or has written Valhalla. Um, you could tell his characters are just better than all of the other ones, in my opinion. Um, and, and it's just such a fun game so far. I'm in the very early hours, like less than three hours, but um, I've been enjoying so much, so much of it, and I will update you guys next week on how my replay continues. Nice, yeah. Origins was the first game I played on my 4K TV, and uh, <laughs> man, what a beautiful game! Right? It's so pretty. Yeah, yeah it's gorgeous. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, for me, I uh, I took a trip this week, so I didn't get a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of time to play much of anything. I thought I was going to get to play on the road, but I didn't. So I'm going to jump back into Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Finish that this week. I did get a chance to start Hades, but I've only played like three runs, which is not enough to, uh, it's it's a roguelite if you're not aware. Three runs through it is not enough to give an impression. It's beautiful, but uh, gameplay wise, I'm just not there yet. Need to spend some more time with it. And then I finally beat Super Mario 64 on 3D Mario All-Stars. Again, just just loving re-experiencing that game and definitely encourage anyone who hasn't experienced it to jump in and give it a try if you have a Switch. I'll hopefully have a lot more to talk about next week. Definitely planning on getting into Hades because uh, I know I'll, I'll like that game from everything I've read about it. Yeah, I want to hear more about that game. Yeah, I'm excited to share. So we'll get into that next week. We are now going to, though, dig into our mailbag. We got some questions this week, and the one that we really are looking forward to discussing, discussing excuse me, came from Dustin. And Dustin said, I'm curious what you think about digital consoles affecting GameStop. No more used games. And if that having a cascading effect could cause different digital benefits in the long run, sales or whatnot. Interesting question. Thank you for writing in, Dustin, again, at preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, 
this is something that I think people kind of forecasted when digital games started to become more of a thing. Like, this is going to massacre and kill the used games market. And I think as long as there is a digital, uh, sorry, a disc version of consoles, which there is um, still with PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, um, then it's not going to kill the used games market. It's just not. Um, if you want to be a budget gamer, there is no question that used games are one of the best ways for you to experience this medium. Um, and I don't see that going away. I don't see GameStop going away. Um, I know they've had they've fallen in some hard times in the last several years, and I think that's due in part to the digital games market. Um, but you can also see them bouncing back with peripherals. We talked, I think, briefly about the NDP stats. I don't know if that made the show or not. Accessories um, have had a huge year. So I, I think stuff like that is going to prop GameStop back up. But no, I still don't think that used games um, are quite dead yet. Yeah, I see. I do think that GameStop is going to eventually... Well, GameStop as we know it, I think, is going to go away. Uh, but I think it's going to take an, on the order of like five to ten years. And I do think that these digital-only consoles will be a factor. I mean, I, it's got to be it's just weird that GameStop is selling consoles that they can't sell games for, to me. Um, <laughs> but it seems like Sony and Microsoft released pretty limited numbers in terms of how many uh, digital-only consoles they, they put up for pre-order. But it did seem like there was a high demand for them. So... If that continues, I mean, I just can't see. I, I can't see a world in in ten years where the majority, the vast majority of games sold aren't digital, and so I I don't know how GameStop's going to overcome that. And maybe it is through accessories, uh, and maybe they do. Uh, I think they're kind of fighting for their life right now. They're you know they before this before COVID hit, they had this whole like plan to make their stores kind of spots to hang out and whatnot, and which was a great idea. And if they could execute it, great. But now they can't. Right. So what are they going to do? I don't know. And I do think that. Uh, to Dustin's point, the digital only consoles, if let's say just eight years down the road when PlayStation 6 and Xbox whatever come out, that the vast majority of consoles sold are digital only. I mean, GameStop's going to have to adapt if they're still around at that point to figure out what to do. And um, I think that they'll do something. I don't think it's like GameStop is going to be totally gone. They're just going to look a lot different. And I don't know what that's going to look like. That's a great point. And I don't know where they could pivot. If we truly think that... Um you know, accessories, I still think will be enough to prop them up uh, a little bit, but they ha they'll have to come up with something else. If we truly think that we're heading towards a subscription based future, this is a complete, you know, out of left field theory. But what if GameStop has a subscription? I don't know. Um, who knows? Yeah. Anyway, Dustin, thank you for writing in. And yeah, as Jackson mentioned, you can write in and send us your questions at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we read all of your messages, so please keep them coming. We really appreciate it. Uh, and that is going to wrap up our show. Again, if you're listening on any of the audio uh, formats, you can uh, subscribe, uh, well, rate our podcast, and we would greatly appreciate it if you leave a review. That'll help us out a lot. Before we go, Jackson, anything that you want to plug on your channel? Uh, so I just uploaded a pair of very quickly made videos. Uh, the Assassin's Creed story trailer dropped big analysis on that. And then uh, Peter Parker's face changed. I decided to make a commentary on that. That is all I've got for now. Cool. Um, yeah, and on my channel, nothing new, but uh, I am about to pass that uh, 50,000 subscriber mark. So if you haven't subscribed to my channel, head over and uh, give me a little boost. I'd appreciate it. And uh, with that, um, actually, 
real quick, you can find me on uh, uh, socials, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Quest Mode Games. Jackson, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm JV on YT. And also, just to piggyback off of Josh there, go sub to Josh's channel. Let's get him over 50K. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And appreciate you guys and gals watching and listening. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.